Hey everyone, welcome back to the Wall Lad Podcast. I'm James Marshall and I've got a huge episode for you today. But firstly, this episode is brought to you by the Waterlad merch. Yes, we have restocked in hats and hoodies, which were by far the most popular items. So if you enjoy this podcast, go and be a lad by getting yourself your own lad hat or hoodie. And it's as simple as heading over to waterlad.com. Also on that website, there's also discounts for Mintwear, Sujon and Pure Sports CBD. So go and make the most of those discounts while they're there. Anyway, I've got a great guest for you today, so let's get to it. Okay, here we are. Now, since day one, I've had an endless amount of requests to get this lad on, and I wasn't sure if the day was ever going to come. On the field, he's known as one of the most destructive players in world rugby, having dominated at all levels, including for teams such as Tasman Marco, the Chiefs, the Highlanders, and of course on the international stage with the All Blacks. But along with all the highs, there have also been plenty of lows with the endless amount of injuries he's had that have taken their toll and has recently forced retirement. And as most of you guys will already know, he is an absolute lad. He's one of the greats. It is the man himself, Liam Squire. Welcome, Squiddy. Jeez, hell of an intro. <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> mate, stoked to have you on. Like I said, I wasn't sure if this day was ever going to come. I put the feelers out a while ago, but I wasn't sure if you were ever going to be keen. But, mate, stoked to have you on. Yeah, no, nah, I think you caught me on a good day uh, a couple of days ago. So, <laughs> no, nah, but why not? I've, yeah, I've listened to a few. It's been bloody good. Oh, mate, appreciate it. But, mate, you're officially retired now. So, how does that feel? Yeah, um, oh, I've, pro- I've probably known for a couple of months that I was going to retire, yeah. uh, unfortunately. But, yeah, I, I thought I was handling it pretty well, but sort of re- reality kicks in when you, when you make it official. So it's it's probably been a weird couple of days. Uh, yeah, still, still trying to get my head around it and, uh, I guess, sort of get on with life uh, outside of it. But, yeah, should be all good. Yeah, so how hard, how hard was the decision? You said you, you knew a while ago. So talk me through that process. When did you know? How did you know? Yeah, so um, – Sort of after that second Super Rugby game, I, I got a scan a couple of days after, and it showed that the the cartilage area that that was um, damaged had damaged again. So, um, getting that straight away, my my sort of chances were pretty slim when that happened. But we we sort of wanted to wait six seven months uh, with a lot of rest and um, a few treatment on it uh, to see if it would heal but um, yeah sort of deep down I sort of had that gut feeling that uh, this was probably going to be it mm. but um, yeah it wasn't something I definitely took lightly it was um, I had a few uh, words with the doctor and, and whatnot but um, yeah I was sort of looking for any sort of treatment or, or surgery but yeah we were pretty limited. And how is your body? You, you mentioned your knee but um, I know you've had a heap of injuries throughout your career. How how is the whole body feeling in general? Um, pretty poor to be fair. <laughs> uh, especially down in Dunedin too, with these cold, cold mornings. I um yeah, I struggle to get out of bed, eh? It's really it's actually yeah. I sort of joke about it, but um yeah, the old hip and knee is, is not too flash and then sort of if I sleep on one side or on the shoulder, that bloody feels a bit tender in the morning and uh, yeah, it's sort of yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> is time going to heal that, or 
is that just going to be the normal oh, life for you? I think I might have to get used to it, eh? But <laughs> I'm um, considering moving somewhere a bit warmer. So, <laughs> yeah, I think Dunedin's cold's probably done me, done me, uh, done me wrong. But it was the knee that is the reason you can't really play again, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the knee. Um, speaking to the surgeon uh, when he told me that, you know, we're sort of we're probably going to hang the boots up. I asked him if if I'd be able to go running and and do that sort of stuff just to keep fit and and sort of keep um, active. But yeah, he's he strongly advised uh, not to run on it again. So that that was that was pretty tough as well because you know you spend twelve years playing footy, mm. uh, running around every day training, and then. You get told, oh, you best not to run again. Now you're now you're finished. So, yeah, that kind of sucked, mate. So what? That's no running ever. Yeah. So I well, said, you know, I wouldn't take up jogging or you yeah. know, like I could run up to run somewhere. Like if it was like a if I needed to, yeah. but chase a um, ball. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, if, if the dogs are bloody <laughs> up a hill, something might be right. <laughs> So what are you up to now that footy's done? You, you're working? Yeah, so I I was quite lucky. I um, So when I found out about my knee earlier on that you know, I wasn't going to play super rugby, um, I actually went over to Andrew Hall's place for uh, about six months. He sort of took me on uh, working there. And, uh, and that was real good for me, I reckon, because it sort of set me up for life after footy. I just, you know, I got a taste for it as well as not having the – pressure off of needing to work mm. full time and I could just sort of do what what I needed to do on the farm and, and he was awesome I eh? sort of talked to him about what was going on and he um yeah he's full of full of wisdom and you know he's obviously been there done that so I think that that was really good for me I was, I was quite lucky in in that way and is that what you're looking to do um from now on in yeah I th- at the moment yeah I'm farming down here and, and working on a couple of different stations doing casual but yeah I sort of made a decision that I would probably move out of Dunedin so um, most likely be ending up in Nelson but if that's uh, farming or working in the forestry I'm not too sure yet Um, Nelson's sort of not really too renowned for farming (laughs) so yeah I'll just sort of play it by year but um, yeah. And how's the body hold up farming or doing this harder work? I'm guessing it's hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You do get some days where where you're a bit sore, limping around, especially if you do a lot of walking um, on the hills and that. But yeah, it's, it's definitely nowhere near up up of the rugby mm. side of things. But yeah, you do start to start to feel it. And how, how are you sort of feeling mentally around the whole decision to finish rugby? Are you, do you feel like you're going to miss it, or are you also a little bit excited to not have to put yourself through your body through all this pain again? Well, at the sort of start, I was I was kind of sort of happy, kind of looking forward to it because I was I was quite pissed off and that I was injured again and yeah. and I was back to sort of square one. But now it's sort of been done, and I know that I won't play again. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty disappointing and. I guess a little bit angry about it, but mm. um, I'm just just still trying to get used to used to the idea of actually, you know, I'm not going to put on that Highlanders jersey or all that again. So mm. yeah, still still trying to get my head around it. Yeah, because you love rugby, you love the collision aspect of it. You can tell that, but there's also parts of rugby that you weren't a massive fan of, were you? Like that being in the spotlight. You're you're a guy who likes to be up in the bush and away from it all is probably a fair way to put it, eh? 
Yeah, yeah, that was something I, I, um, I really struggled with. I didn't really, I kind of probably wasn't prepared for, um, I guess in a way that that sort of fame that comes with sort of getting into the All Blacks and that. And I, I never really got used to it, and it was pretty uncomfortable to be fair. So, um, yeah, that's definitely one thing I won't miss. I sort of, you know, going back and just becoming uh, your sort of average Joe back into the. <laughs> Um, normal public will be pretty pretty good. I'll, uh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> You'll be loving that. Oh, mate, that's good stuff. But anyway, I remember you coming to um, Tasman as a, I think you must have been a, like a 19-year-old guy. So I, I pretty much know your story from then on, but I don't know much about what your life was like before then. So give us a rundown on what your life was like uh, growing up. Yeah, um, I grew up in, in Palmerston North. I had... Um, Three older brothers, so uh, that was a pretty pretty fun upbringing. Yeah. Um, being the youngest and all, yeah. So I did, I spent most of my well, obviously until I was eighteen, nineteen, in Palmerston North. Went to school at Palmy Boys for all of uh, two years, and um, <laughs> <laughs> I left there. I left there when I was fifteen, and, and went went dairy farming. So true. Um, I didn't really get along too well with school <laughs> and all that, so yeah, went, went down it went down a sort of a different path. Yeah, gave it gave up rugby once I left school, and um, yeah, probably sort of took a few wrong turns, but yeah. it, it was all good. What was what was it about school that you didn't um, relate to? Um, probably a few disagreements with teachers. <laughs> uh, I was quite a stubborn wee kid, but um, I, yeah, I don't know. I just sort of. I just didn't really like it. I just didn't get along. And at the time, because I was only 15 and the age to leave was 16, we come up with an agreement with Palmy Boys to actually give me an exemption to leave. Um, so they, they sort of encouraged it and I was all for it. Um, probably better for them <laughs> that I left. <laughs> but, right. After after about sort of six months, I was like, fuck, was that the right decision? But So I actually tried to... Applied to go to um, to fielding ag, and then, but I got denied, so that was it. <laughs> and were you good at rugby at this age? Was that any reason to stay at school or no? Nah? Oh, I didn't. Re- I didn't take it seriously. Yeah, like through um, age group, like under elevens, under thirteens, and and that I played for Manor too. But sort of when I got to boys high, um, I did trial. For things like the under fourteen Colts, which is the top team, and I missed out on that, and it sort of soured soured me with rugby because it was almost like it was like who you know, not what you know there. Yeah. Um. So I ended up playing. I think it was maybe like under forty fives kgs. So and and it was like a B or C team. Yeah. I think we went the whole year without even winning a game, and I think. We, we would have scored less than five tries the whole season. <laughs> but it, it was fun, though. It was, yeah, it was quite cool. So then how did you go from that position to eventually getting back into rugby? Um, I, was, I went working as an engineer. Sort of, I was about 16, 17 by now. Obviously, it was about 17. So I didn't play for a, for a good couple of years. And then um, I joined a club So when I was engineering. Uh, the other worker there, his old man um, was a manager of the Maris Colts, old boys Maris Colts, and um, he encouraged me to come along and start training with them. And 
so I linked up with them and and um, played one or two two or three seasons with them, sort of on on and off. You know, obviously with club footy and working, you sort of play when you can. Mm. And, um, it was actually quite bizarre. I ended up playing against Palmy boys, so I, put, I was playing against you know the guys I went to school with okay. in the same age group and that. So yeah, that that was that was good fun. But um, yeah, so I did culture two three years. Uh, there, which which was quite yeah, it was real cool. And then, how did the move down to Tasman come about? Is this when you started to think that you might take rugby a bit more seriously? Um, no, nah, it was it was sort of encouraged probably by my mum that uh, I wasn't sort of doing too flash and palmy. It was sort of um, it sort of had a dead end. To be fair, I I just had surgery on my back. That That's was right. from a rugby injury. But, you broke it, didn't you? Well, I had, yeah, I had a small fracture in my L four. But that was because I was about, I would have been 75 kgs max. <laughs> and I remember playing in the, I think it was senior A's. And I I just ran as hard as I could at their number seven, who was, he was a big bouncer at the nightclub, one of the good nightclubs in town. His name's um, Tonga, I think his name was Tonga. And um, I literally, I just got folded today. Eh? Fuck. I was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> well, you did do that again. You did it yeah, almost yeah. every carry. Oh, I know. You just obviously put oh, on a bit more weight. Yeah, yeah. I, the weight, the, I didn't have any weight, and he just, yeah, I stopped at a, at a rate of knots, eh? So, yeah, that, that was a good learning curve. And that um, was a pretty bad break, yeah, eh, so, from memory. Was there a chance that yeah. you might not have been able to play again? Yeah, they, they sort of advised not, not to sort of push it and play again, but... I spoke to a lot of once I got to Nelson after that, I was about nineteen when I when I ended up moving to Nelson and um went to the physios there and, and we'd done a lot of a uh, lot of work to try and get a lot of strength in my back, mm. sort of back up and running. Which 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 worked out real well and, and probably ever since then, so it was about I was nineteen when I got that surgery. Right through till now, I haven't had any issue with it whatsoever. So that, that's been quite pleasing. <laughs> the one part of your body that's still going strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bit with the big screw in it. Um, yeah, it's still still holding me up well. <laughs> and then talk about your transition down to Nelson. Obviously, I remember you being a very explosive, talented, uh, rangy, loose forward, carved up the club scene as soon as you came down and maybe took one or two years before you ended up becoming a big part of that Tasman side. Yeah, so I was yeah I was nineteen and I started playing for Marist um, Senior A's and my first year there we had a stacked team. Eh? We had like um, Lucky Mullapolo, Kieran Fonatia, and it was Jimmy Proctor and that. Yeah, and um, we ended up we we ended up winning it that that uh, that year, which was, which was awesome. And you did. I was quite lucky enough actually to make the Marcos that year, which was. 2011 and yeah that that was sort of where it all, all sort of started and we were like that was the year as well that Tasman and Southland and that were they were trying to get us sort of relegated and, and that so yeah. still didn't know what was sort of happening with Tasman at the time but like yeah being in, being in that environment was awesome especially only being 19 and, mm. and a semi-professional uh, was quite cool. And you were a big part of the whole turnaround of Tasman. Like you said, a side that they were trying to get rid of and 
to see where they are now coming off two championships. I mean, just the whole turnaround of that Tasman Provincial Union has been massive and you're a big part of that. Yeah, it's it's awesome to see. I, I remember, yeah, in, in that 2011, like we, I think we won two games <laughs> and we just, we were, we were battlers, but like we, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. And then I think it might have been in 2012, we even uh, come close to winning the, the Ranfurly Shield. And we and we started to improve then. Yeah. And um but we started to get some some good players coming coming in Nelson and, and then from then on each year uh we've grown, which has been real awesome. And you know, you look at it now, the amount of super rugby players and all blacks that are in there is pretty awesome. And like when I first started I think we had two, which was uh Quinton McDonald and Joey Wheeler, so mm-hmm. um yeah, it's pretty awesome. Mate, it is cool. And then you got a sniff at super rugby with the Chiefs? How did that one come about? Yeah, it was, I think that was 2013. I ended up signing with the Chiefs. I was sort of, I was halfway through my ten and didn't really know where or if if I was going to play Super Rugby, but it was something I, I was aiming for. But I actually got approached by the Western Force um, before that. Oh, true. Yeah, speaking with my manager at the time, like we talked about a lot of things like, um, you know, going higher, higher honours, like All Blacks and, and you know, if I spent, three years in uh, Australia I could apply for citizenship and and like you know he did the pros and cons and in a way was talking me out of staying in New Zealand he said that you know there's a lot of um, a lot of good players lining up to to get to that higher level of the All Blacks and steering me towards yeah <laughs> going to Australia <laughs> <Good> money <laughs> luckily luckily I um, yeah luckily I turned down um, and, and signed with the Chiefs so yeah, that that was awesome and, and quite exciting. And then how was it up at the Chiefs? I know um, Whoppers said on his podcast he was obviously living with you and my brother and sounded like you guys had a hell of a time together. But how was at your times up there at the Chiefs? Yeah, it, it was awesome, eh? Like, I, I remember sort of around the first, first second day being in there, like the likes of um, Liam Messam, um, Ben Afiaki and all that were, were there and, like, you remember watching them on TV for years and idolising them and, and all of a sudden you're, you're training with them and that, which was, which was real cool. And, and like, Brody Retallick and Sam Kane were um, young All Blacks there as well. So, yeah, yeah, that, that was real cool. Um, definitely enjoyed that. And living with your brother and um, Whopper, that was uh, <laughs> never a dull moment. Um, I don't think Whopper's hygiene's changed at all, so pretty untidy. <laughs> yeah, what does Big Whopper like to live with? He, I mean, he said a few stories about you, but I could imagine he no. would be pretty tough work. Oh, it was like it was, we'd get to like nine o'clock at night and we're watching TV, and then me and Tojo would be like, "Oh, we're going to bed," and he'd honestly be like a ten-year-old kid. Eh? He'd think, "No, no, stay up. <laughs> don't don't go to bed yet." And he'd bring his mattress into the lounge. <laughs> Sit there and just want us to watch TV the whole night with him. Just didn't didn't like being alone in there. But he he pretty much lived in that lounge. True. Just sat in front of that TV and watched Code. We'd have to watch. Uh, I think it was 2011, 2012 clips of Southland scrums with him because he's put them on his my sky and downloaded it all. Painful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's classic. <laughs> and what about on the field at the Chiefs? Um, yeah, that that was that was cool. Eh? I remember it was yeah, my first year I played a lot more games than I thought. 
and, and really enjoyed it. Um, especially playing alongside those those guys that you that you've been watching on TV and and being a first year um, Super Rugby player, like you know any opportunity to play out there was was something you you took um, with both hands. So. But it was also daunting at the same time. Like you, it's a huge step up from my to ten, and um, you know, being being a young fella in your first year, it's yeah. But like, loved it at the same time. Mm. Did you feel ready mentally getting a crack at that level? I don't really know sort of what was sort of expected or sort of what what come with the territory of of being a professional rugby player. Yeah, because like for me, like, I obviously didn't play any. Uh, age group rugby for New Zealand, or mm. I wasn't sort of guided for an academy when I was when I was young. I, I spent, you know, I was nineteen when I first went into Tasman's academy, but I never really sort of had that that normal pathway that um, most of the rugby players have now. Yeah, um, like I never played first fifteen or or any of that. So um, that that was a massive sort of. Uh, Sort of a wake up call, and yeah, it's it's hard to it is hard to prepare yourself for what is to be expected, especially like you, we do get um, advice on how to how to deal with situations and that, but you know, no one gives you you know the script for for what actually does does mm. come your way. So um, yeah, just trying to prepare yourself as much as you can for it, but at the same time, you've just got to yeah. Take it as it comes. What are the hardest things you have to deal with? You think? Um, for me, it's, it's sort of the outside noise, um, and especially the higher higher you go, mm. uh, like you're always under the microscope. And I saw, I obviously, you know, that that does come with being being an all black, but I, I never got used to it, and I was never never comfortable with it. But um, yeah, that that was challenging, and. Like I, you know, you, you do get criticised if you if you have a bad game and and whatnot. But for me, like I I knew I could, you know, handle someone you know roasting me on on social media or something. But it was more uh, the effect it had on my family that mm. that was the sort of a the main one for me, and that that really sort of pissed me off at f- a few times. So I wanted to protect them as much as I could, but you know you can't really control what what some people say or, or do. Mm. So were you you weren't a big social media man though either, were you? Nah, nah, nah. I never really got into it. And I, I still can't really get into it. It's yeah. We do we do get talked about uh creating your own brand and, and whatnot, but yeah. Um yeah, I've given up on that idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just post hunting posts and, and either a retirement or an injury post. <laughs> just the real big the big key points. Yeah. <laughs> Just the heavy hitter. Yeah. So then what, what brought the move about down to the Highlanders? I I didn't really enjoy living in Hamilton, to be fair. I, uh, Too many I late nights with Wapping. And, and <laughs> living with him just poisoned me pretty much. It was just too much. I had to get away from him, mate. <laughs> No, I, because I, I'd obviously moved to Nelson, and I've never lived in the South Island. Yeah, um, you know, I, I pretty much I fell in love with with the South Island and and the people there. So, um, I I, saw, I approached the chiefs and said, look, you know, I'm I'm keen to stay down south and and move. There's opportunity down in uh, the Highlanders. Went back and forth talking talking to them, and 
finally came to an agreement that that I would go down. So, and and I I knew that that decision was the best for me, um, especially with rugby. So, and I, I knew I had to had to make that choice. So, for for the better of myself. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm glad I did, and and you know it's been awesome ever since I. I come down to Dunedin. Mm, and you weren't wrong because your form just went to a whole nother level down there at Highlanders. Well, yeah, I, th- I think the environment here sort of allows players to do it. And, you know, it's it's like we get a lot of players here that are scattered from all around New Zealand and that. And we're, we're sort of, we sort of see ourselves as being those, the outcasts that, that no one really wants. Mm. But um, for some reason that, that sort of works when, when everyone gets down here and we have, we have a lot of fun. Um, Dunedin's an awesome place to to live and uh, a lot of things to do. So the the team culture sort of just produces itself uh, in this environment. Mm. And straight away from as soon as you went down there, I think the following year, you got your All Blacks call up. How how was that one? Yeah, so I think yeah, well that was 2016. I mm. I actually I actually played a trial game for them in in uh, 2015. I think you. You get called up to play a game of two halves. It was me and Shane Christie, True. and um, we literally flew. We flew in to North Harbour uh, that morning, um, did a team training, played played that game that night, and then six seven o'clock in that morning we flew back to our provincial teams, and <laughs> we were just we just we would use as a number just to, for them to have a hit out because I think the Crusaders had just. Uh, won the Super Rugby, so they were resting. Yeah, and um, and that so, but but that was that was an awesome experience. Eh? it was you know it was sort of chucked in the deep end there. They were yelling at calls. I had no <laughs> idea, but it just, it just went with it. Did after that? Did you feel like you were up to that level to be an international? Um, not really. Nah, it was. I mean, I remember literally going to my first ruck, and I think it was. Ben Franks come in and just absolutely annihilated the guy <laughs> that was there, and I was I was just next to him, and I was like, "Holy shit!" I was like, "I did not want to be on the other end of that." So that 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 was a huge wake up, like to say, you know, that this is the level that you got to be at, and the physicality of it. So that was awesome to have a bit of a taste of that. I'm glad it wasn't me in the rut, though. <laughs> so how did you get so physical? Because I mean. You are known for your physicality. You throw your body into everything. I mean, every time you go out on that field, you're you're just fully into it. So, how how did you get that sort of reckless regard for your body? Um, yeah, I don't really know. I, I've sort of been asked about it a few times, but I guess it's sort of a um, mindset that I go into a game. Like um, other players have got their own ways of how they sort of go out to try and inspire their teammates and that and. I sort of figured out what works in a way best for me. Sometimes it uh, doesn't go as planned, but um, and it, it was a style that I, I enjoyed. It sort of sort of gave me a, a quite a good feeling uh, when out there on the field if I could play play that style, and I, and I really enjoyed it. That, that physical battle, I guess you know when you sort of going head to head with a, another player, um, it, it's, it's pretty. You know, you can either go one way or, or mm. the other. So. It's exciting challenge for yourself to to try and sort of dominate each time, and yeah, I, I just enjoyed it. So, what was your mindset going into a hard carry or a big tackle? Um, I, I guess if it was a carry, well, it's probably the same as a tackle, but I just wanted to to 
to run into it as hard as I could. I didn't really worry too much about <laughs> technique at the time. It was just uh, I sort of knew if if I could sort of hit someone as hard as I possibly can each time that I'd, I'd most likely win the contact. So, um, yeah, it was sort of sometimes I should have used footwork, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was. It was fun though, and I quite liked having that risk of either getting folded or or um, getting gain lines. So, yeah, yeah. Did did your mindset ever change with the endless amount of injuries? Like, did it get to a point where you started thinking maybe I I shouldn't be running into this one quite so hard? <laughs> yeah, I I had I had a few people sort of suggest maybe to to sort of ease into it. I um and just trying to pace myself, but. Yeah, I, I'm sort of either all in or not um, mm. kind of a person, and I, I I did think about you know trying to play a different style and and sort of try and reserve my body in that, but it, that wouldn't have really sit too well with me. I, I guess I, I sort of pride myself on on being a physical player, and that's what I, I really love about rugby. So I think if I went away from that, um, you know, I'd be sort of taking a backwards step. But yeah, maybe I should have. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Anyway, back to your All Blacks call up. How, how did you get your call up? Uh, we just got back to back to Dunedin. I think we were playing up in Wellington, and we were having a two week break, so it was the, the international break. And I, I I actually thought you know I wasn't going to make it, so I'd planned to head away the next day um, on a hunting trip and I had a mate coming down uh, to join me and he's bringing a, bringing a dog for me as well. And um, like, uh, yeah, so I, I was actually, I was actually in McDonald's drive through because you know what it's like after a day after a game and you have been, been flying back to yeah. um, your, your hometown and, and unpacking and all that. So, I went there and then I think it was um, Shandy rung and I was like, because, you know, obviously the players had talked about it uh, a few days prior, like who who would make it and whatnot. And uh, I think it was Shane Christie was messaging me every half an hour asking if I'd been called. And I was like, nah, they're not going to call. I was like <laughs> sort of humming and hiring if I actually wanted them to. Yeah. And um, But, yeah, he, he rang anyway and said, and said um, congratulations, and I was like, I was because I was thinking, you know, my mate coming down and and all that, and obviously I've got dogs that need looked after. I was like, when, when do you want us to fly? And he's like, oh, seven o'clock, and I'm like, oh, yeah, in the morning. He's like, no, no, that night. I'm like, oh. I feel like so I was always going to say, oh, I, I, can I fly in the morning? But I was just. Shut my mouth and said, "Yep, good as I'll be there." <laughs> You're like the first person to ever be slightly gutted to be called into the All Blacks. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it just seemed. I just had to sort a lot of stuff out yeah. before I could actually go. So, mm. yeah. And then, what was it like yeah. once you were up there? Um, yeah, that that was probably your first taste of sort of the limelight that All Blacks get put in. Eh? I remember because we flew up that night. It was me. Ben Smith and Aaron Smith uh, that went up, and obviously they were someone had leaked that there was two or three new players being selected, and um, we went out for dinner that night, 
and didn't really know that we were going to bump into because obviously the new all the news reporters were up in Auckland as well because because of, of the press conference the next day and mm. we went out for dinner and I remember walking past and and they were all out having dinner as well and I'm there with Ben Smith and Aaron Smith <laughs> um, so like you know it doesn't take a rocket scientist to um, put two and two together that that I was selected and I think within half an hour someone had leaked um, not that I was in but they knew that there was a, a bolter that's uh, been selected. So, um, yeah, that, that was that was quite funny, but that uh, was yeah, it was good. And how did you find the whole media side of becoming an All Black? Obviously, once you first name, you probably have to do thousands of interviews and all that sort of carry on photo shoots and all that. <laughs> how did you find it? Uh, yeah, I found it. It was pretty uncomfortable. I, I had I it was when I was growing that. Uh, mullet too so that's all they, they were asking about and if i was going to cut it and yeah whatnot so i was um yeah i it was quite long at that time too i hadn't planned for any photo shoot or or anything so mm-hmm. um yeah that that was that was quite full-on it was i mean we did a whole day of it and i was just exhausted i was like shit i'd rather get into training camp rather than doing this <laughs> you were before your time with the mullets too eh? now everyone's got them yeah, every, everyone sort of jumped on board. Now, I remember when I had it, people were like, oh, what are you growing that for and yeah. all this and that. Now it's sort of, you know, if you don't have one, you, you look the odd one out. <laughs> you made it cool again. I remember some 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 lady wrote online and said, oh, she was like, she was like, he's a disgrace to the All Blacks and shouldn't have the mullet and, and, and all that. And I was just like, it cut me deep, eh? <laughs> like, yeah. He needs to go to the barber straight away. You can bag me but not my mullet. <laughs> Never bag the mullet. Yeah. I was like, yeah, have a go at me but not 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 the mullet. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, I guess that was the whole part of it for the All Blacks thing that was probably the hardest day, all that sort of public scrutiny that you had to – go through even comments like that i mean might not seem like much but they all add up and they all do affect you eh? yeah no no they do like um obviously you try and joke about it and that but um like i said earlier we, we do get put under the spotlight a lot and um you know it only takes sort of one bad game or, or a little bit of drop off on form and and you just get absolutely sort of roasted online and it's yeah it's, it's not nice um uh, yeah, especially when you're when you're on the receiving end of it. Mm. Um, like we we do have um, a lot of sort of training and that to deal with it, but deep down you you, you can do all you can. But um, yeah, if if you do read it and that it does, you know we're only human, so it, it does affect us. Yeah, did you ever find something that did sort of help you with that? Um, probably just not reading it. Yeah, yeah. Which was like I, I talked to someone about it. I think it might have been um, Cruds, Aaron Cruden, and he said, "If you if you can't read the bad stuff about you, don't don't just read the good stuff." So um, that's sort of like you know because most you know most players like if they know they've had a good game, mm-hmm. they they read their press and you know it's sort of a feel good thing. But if if you're just willing to read that, but not the bad stuff. Um, yeah, you shouldn't really read it at all. This mm. was his way of doing it, and I, I've, I find that I found his way 
um, quite inspiring to be fair. Like he, he was off social media, didn't read in, into any of it. And um, yeah, he, he was real, real strict on it, which was, was quite impressive. It is pretty cool. And there was a game f- where you really stamped your mark as a international loose forward, I guess. And it was that 57 nil drubbing of South Africa where you absolutely intimidated a South African forward pack like I'd never seen someone do. Talk me through that game for you personally. Um, yeah, that like honestly playing South Africa, eh, like I've got tons of load of respect for for them, and and I like I love the way they they all play. Mm. Like they they're big men, and and they they fly into contact, and um, so I, I leading into those games, you, you know, it doesn't take much to to get up for that battle that you're gonna you're gonna go forward with them, and mm. like they were probably up there with my favourite games as playing South Africa because you knew. You knew what it was going to be like, and you know it, it never it never failed. Like, obviously, we we scored a lot of points and and that, but it definitely didn't take away how how physical and how tough um, opponents they are. Mm. Did you, did you take confidence after that? Because, like you say, South Africa are known for their physicality. They are the most physical side in the world. There, Matt, they've got a massive pack who do, like you say, love to hit hard. And those couple of games, mate, you matched them and probably went up them um yeah I, pr- I probably never got that sort of feeling of feeling that confident in, in the um all blacks jersey eh? it was it was quite weird I, I put a lot of a lot of pressure on on myself and and the way i played and which was uh a little bit of a downfall on my side of things but um yeah it's, it's something that if, if i could have gone back and and changed i definitely would have but I, I had i had massive uh expectations on how I wanted to play and I never really got sort of too comfortable mm. in it which yeah in, in a way like you do want you you do want sort of a good balance of confidence but also being on edge as well but mm. um I think I was on edge most of the time so it was it wasn't that fun to be fair <laughs> what well, was that just like so super stressful like were you stressed out of meetings and trainings and was it the whole sort of week that you were feeling that? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I, I like I it'd start on on Monday. Like we would um, have obviously have our review, and then we'd get given our lineouts for the week. And I would I would spend all night learning these new moves, um, going through all the scenarios off off the lineouts and that. But like I could never get it down packed. Like, yeah. I struggled massively. Like, yeah, I've been pretty lucky with the coaches I've had because obviously I'll, I'm dyslexic, so um, all that sort of learning with the writing and, and reading and that was real, real tough. But mm. um, that they helped me out massively with it. But I still, uh, it was something that I was real, real conscious of that I really need to nail. But mm. it wouldn't have been till I'd say Friday, leading into the game, where I knew I had. Had the lineouts or something sorted, but it, I used to be on. I was on edge that whole the whole week, and you get, I get to the day off, and I literally would just have to pretty much sleep all day because I was just knackered. <laughs> eh? Jeez, that is intense. And did you find a way to speed up your learning process? Being dyslexic, did you find a process for yourself that made it easier eventually? Um, yeah, I th- I think the main sort of learning for me was actually telling obviously the coach at the time or, or the Ford coach or whatever um, 
what I, what how I learned and the, the difference that I had with um, other people. Like you know, I'm obviously a person that um, has to has to do the movement or or whatever physically mm. to learn it. So um, like one and once they got on board with that and they knew obviously I was dyslexic, they they were awesome. Eh? Like they didn't they didn't see it as a weakness or, or anything. They were they were great about it and um sort of gave me the confidence that you know that I could do it. But the in that environment in the All Blacks because. The lineouts in that team is like the Da Vinci Code. Um, <laughs> Brody Italic was probably, you know, my, my um, saviour in, in that side. Like I think on Monday nights we'd spend a good hour going through them in the in the team room and then meet up again on in the morning and do them for another fifteen minutes. So, um, yeah, that that was awesome. You know, having having guys like that. To, to help you out. Mm. Did you feel like going into a game you were still worrying about the calls and stuff or by the time you got to a game were you always did you always just let that go and then just play? Um no, I was I was still worried. I that bus trip uh to the to the grounds was they were probably the most daunting uh, sure. bus rides I've, I've ever had. I because I was covering uh 6 and number 8 which is Rito, number eight was Rito's position, and he had every single movement in the lineout. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that was tough, and but I, I found once I sort of got out there on the field, you know, it actually it, it did come sort of naturally, and and your natural instincts sort of kick in, which was good, and you knew, you know, that, that stuff you did during the week um, sort of allowed you to be able to do that. But mm. yeah, and then obviously in two thousand and nineteen. Leading up to the Rugby World Cup, you made the decision that you weren't going to be available for selection for that. So that was obviously a extremely tough decision, but a, a very brave decision. And I guess sort of what you've spoken about already around how mentally draining being involved in the All Blacks was was a big part of that decision. Um, yeah, I yeah, it was it was a, a lot of sort of build up of um, probably. 12, 18 months of, of um, rugby. So I, I knew I'd just come off that 2018 end of year tour and I, I wasn't sort of happy with how I'd played. And um, the sort of stuff I had in place wasn't sort of what I needed. Like for me to sort of be happy was was all on my performance. And if my performance didn't sort of fill my cup, so to speak, mm-hmm. um I'd sort of beat myself up over it. And with the India tour, we had a massive eight-week break in between. So I spent eight weeks um, stewing on on how I was playing and and sort of being quite frustrated uh, in a way. But I knew, you know, if I sort of put that into my training, you know, I could use it as a, as a positive. So I remember coming into 2019 and I was I was feeling feeling quite good um, physically. But then, yeah. So in in preseason, I ended up tearing my groin a couple of weeks into preseason, which is a good classic for most players in preseason. <laughs> um, good way to get out. <laughs> um, yeah, but but I was yeah I was pretty gutted at the same time because I'd spent uh, six weeks uh, rehabbing that, and I I missed all the preseason games, but. I think I was due to play round two of the um, Super Rugby, so I, I'd built into full training, and you know what it's like on a, on a Thursday training, <clears throat> you go for a 40, 45-minute 
um, full contact, fifteen on fifteen, um, and I, I was on the I was in the DDs, so I was um, running against the Highlanders at the time because I was still one week away from playing. Yeah, <clears throat> and I remember we were playing we were playing the Blues, and obviously they had good jacklers. So as a loose forward, I was sort of contesting the ball uh, at training, and just your typical prop. Uh, comes diving in on the side and and caved my uh, knee in, which was just sort of the icing on the cake, so to speak. Um, You know, I was going to play the next week and and then so I got a scan on that and uh, I think it was my MCL had torn. So that ended up being, I think it was eight to ten weeks and – yeah, I've I've never I've never been a good player injured, mm. so I've, I've always I've never got used to it, and I've never really mastered how to how to sort of bounce back and and sort of get back on track. I I'd spend weeks, you know, angry about what's happened, and you know, obviously I couldn't do anything about it, but um, you know, it was yeah, it was something that that I never got used to, and. Mm. Um, Something that I yeah I wish I had a better way to deal with it, but I just didn't really know what to do at the time. Is, um, is there anything you'd do differently now, knowing mm. what you know? Um, yeah, I th- I think you know like if you get told you know say you're you're out for six or eight weeks or something, you know obviously obviously you're you're gutted and you and you you feel like you've let the the boys down at that, mm. but I think best of a way is just of it you know you can be a bit gutted but you've got to you've got to sort of shift your focus on to um onto what you can control next and, and obviously that's rehabbing yourself the best you can so you can you can come back and play quicker um but that, that was yeah something I never never really quite mastered um Throughout my time, I probably mm. shut off with the amount of injuries I had. <laughs> Mate, you had that many. Yeah. But it is it is a crazy one, eh? It's something that you look back on and it doesn't seem like a big deal being injured for <laughs> four to six weeks or whatever it is and you're still getting paid and all that. But when you're in that moment, man, it, it, it's so hard to feel like that and look at it from that perspective when you're in it. Yeah, and like <clears throat> because of obviously I wasn't happy with um, – how 2018 finished and mm. I hadn't even got a chance to play um, a game for probably a good three quarters of the Super Rugby um, and all that just sort of built up and like I, I, I bottle everything up uh, pretty much and I, I wasn't really talking to too many people at that time. I sort of um, sort of took myself away from the Highlanders environment and um, did my own thing. At the time, and that that wasn't the best thing. I thought it was for me, yeah. just to be away from the players, because I, I'd go into um, HQ and you'd see the boys, and and they'd ask when you're back playing and all that. And I just every time you just you felt like you let them down because yeah. you you know you um, you're not out there training with them and and whatnot. So um, yeah, that 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 was tough and. I I sort of I didn't get back to playing in that 2019 until our second to last round robin game, and um, once I sort of got back into play uh, that I was going to be playing in that all the World Cup stuff started uh, surfacing and sort of 
a lot of people asking, is he is he up for it or is he ready? Because I've I'd missed a lot of rugby, mm. and the main one was, you know, is is he going to go over there and get injured and all that? And I just, yeah, all that noise I, I was hearing, and um, yeah, it's just something that I probably should have tried to cut out. Um, but yeah, I just, yeah, didn't really know how to handle it. Is that why you made that decision to not make yourself available? Because you were sort of sick of that noise, or did you genuinely not want to go there? Um, so re- originally, it was the rugby championship um, that I told Steve that I wanted to stay out of. Yeah. Um, and then, like I thought that was the best for myself. Um, obviously, I'd only played three games, and I played. Uh, I think it was the quarterfinal against the Crusaders and got yellow carded. And then typical me looking into what the media was saying, uh, you know, they were going, what's he going to be like at the World Cup? Is he going to get yellow carded in a semi-final or something like that? Yeah. And, um, I, yeah, that, that was sort of quite frustrating to hear and and whatnot. So, um, and I, I didn't think it was going to be a big deal at the time uh, to be left out, I was sort of hoping that they would just say I was out of form and uh, not selecting me. But <laughs> yeah, so the, the the plan was to go back to um, Tasman and and just to play some rugby to try and get my confidence back up. But yeah, it, it was it was a tough one. And what was that? What was it like once you had made that decision and that had been put out there? How did you feel once everyone was saying that you had made yourself unavailable? Um. Yeah, it was it was quite a strange way it actually worked out because um, I didn't really know what was going on uh, at the time with selection or whatnot, but the media put out that I needed to call Steve. I don't know if you remember or not, but they were saying, oh, Liam needs to call him, and I, I had no idea. So I was learning this stuff when um, obviously the public was as well. Mm. So... I sort of found that quite frustrating because, you know, you're finding out all this stuff through the media, um, which wasn't ideal. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it is what it is. But, um, yeah, well, it wasn't ideal to, to find out that way that you needed to do that. And then, obviously, your next move was over to Japan with Docomo. Why did you make that decision? Um, oh, that, that was before I pulled out of the World Cup. At, at the time, my thinking was because I talked to my agent quite a lot. Um, we sort of thought, you know, I was getting to the age. I think I was 28, and we thought um, if I went to a World Cup and then did two, maybe three years in Japan, and then called it quits after that, and that was sort of um, the goal at the time. Uh, but yeah, so I ended up going over there for a season, and then obviously an injury of my knee sort of cut it short, but also COVID did as well. Mm. And, um, yeah, so, and, and in that time of being back in New Zealand, uh, I sort of had a change of heart with wanting to play play in New Zealand again and, um, and give it a good crack here. And you also had a pretty major surgery scare too, wasn't it? Did you get your hip and your knee done and one of them became infected? Um, yeah, so I, I had hip surgery um, during the year, but it was about six weeks 
six or eight weeks after that. I'm not too sure if it was due to my hip or not, but I um it was on a on a Tuesday, I think. I, I started getting uh quite a lot of pain in, in, in my left shoulder as it sort of felt like I had a dead arm. And over sort of um forty eight hours it got worse and worse where I actually couldn't lift lift my arm up. And I remember getting home because I was, I was working on Andrew's farm at the time as well. I remember getting home and I need to have a shower and I couldn't even get my shirt off. Sure. And like I didn't know what was going on and I thought it was I thought it was just a muscle um, in my in my neck. So I went to the doctors and they they thought yeah you've you've got a tight neck muscle or a shoulder muscle and that. So. Um, I went to the All Blacks physio Pete, and um, we got we did a lot of acupuncture in it, yeah, and tried to release a lot of the muscles in that. And he he sort of realised at that time he was like, nah, it's it's got nothing to do with a muscle, and that. So I went I went I went back home and and sort of thought, you know, I'll I'll just park up and and see how I go. And I was just getting worse and worse and a lot of pain, and um, I was quite stubborn, didn't really want to go to hospital. Um, this was uh, about a th- on a Thursday, and um, eventually a couple of friends of mine took me into the urgent doctors in in Dunedin, and um, it was my second visit there that day. So they they took me right in and and took my temperature, and I think I was my temperature was about thirty eight uh, at the time. So I didn't really know it, but they they'd rung an ambulance and within. Fifteen minutes. I was I was rushed into hospital on sure. on Thursday night. And what was it? Was it an infection in your shoulder? Yeah. So um, I went into a ward, and it was I think it was Friday by then, and they were just sort of uh, monitoring me, seeing how how things were going, and I was just getting worse and worse um, each hour during the day, and I got to one stage where like I. I I couldn't really move that well and I was hot and cold and the nurse come in and I was actually waiting for an MRI um, scan to see what was going on, but that the MRI machine in the hospital was fully booked until Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Polite. Yeah. And I was I was there um, no good and, and, and then so the nurse took took my temperature again and I think it was up past forty. Shit. Once that sort of happened they rushed me into into the MRI machine, um, and I was in that much pain. I, I I'm pretty sure I passed out in the machine because it was they they took off all of um, I was obviously on some heavy painkillers there, so they they took them off to put me in the MRI machine, and I was in no good a state. I was bloody. I mean, I was yelling at the. <laughs> The lady that was trying to move my arm and I was not good. Um, yeah, so then, then it wasn't until after that they they took me back up to the room, and um, when I got there, uh, there was I think it was about six doctors there waiting. I was like, I was like, this is not not too flash. I was like, yeah, it's not it's not good. And, and Mum had turned up um, as well, so yeah, and that, that's when they sort of told me that. Uh, things weren't looking too good. Jesus. They, yeah, initially they thought that um, it was that infectious flesh-eating disease. Oh, yeah. And so they they rushed me into theatre, and I remember the um, 
the guy that was going to put me under said, um, well, they, they warned me that, that I was going to wake up in ICU and have my whole chest open. Yeah. Um, and, and he also said that, you know, this is probably going to be one of many surgeries. Um, but I think, I think, yeah, at, at the time they, they actually, you know, thought it was, it was quite, quite sort of life threatening at the, at the time. Um, which was quite scary, but Shit, yeah. they didn't tell me until I sort of went down to, to theatre. Um, and that's, but luck, luckily I, I come out of that surgery and, and they'd opened up my neck right across there. Um, and, and got some of the infection out and just left a tube in there for a week to uh, let, let it drain out. And we never really figured out what was the cause of it. Um, but yeah, luckily we managed to sort of come out on top, so That's to speak. Crazy. Did you fear for your life going into that surgery? Did you genuinely think you might not be waking up here? Yeah, it's, it's sort of like Fair I right. feel a little bit silly now saying it, but um, yeah, I, I did at the time. I I sort of I, I actually made a few phone calls. I think I rang my dad, um, and that just to. Um, sort of talk to them and, and that because, yeah, there, there was that chance that, you know, I was actually either going to be quite sick uh, for a while or, you know, things were, were a lot worse and, and um, head down the, the wrong way. So, yeah, that, that was pretty daunting. That's probably the sort of most frightened I've ever been. Yeah. Um, you know, it sort of take a bit of a scare like that to give you a wake-up call. And then obviously rugby was the last and thing on your mind at this point. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was obviously back in Dunedin and wanting to um, get back into the Highlander. But yeah, I spent, uh, I think it was eight or nine days in hospital and like a lot of time to, to think about your choices that you've made and, and, and what you want to do with the rest of your sort of time that I had. And that was probably a good sort of reflection time for me and, and really sort of, got the fire burning again to actually want to get healthy. Healthy mm. was, was the main thing, but also start playing rugby again um, in New Zealand. So that, that was a big turning point. And you obviously did that. You made your return for the Highlanders, hissing cameo, straight back into the old physical squire, straight from the get-go off the bench, one of the great cameos. How did you feel running back out there? <laughs> um, yeah, I was... That feeling of running out in Foresight Bar is it's sort of second to none, yeah. uh, especially, especially for the Highlanders. Like, I, yeah, I, I love playing at home and um, to to actually be back in New Zealand playing. Like, I was I was on top of the world and real excited for what for what was sort of ahead. And yeah, obviously um, getting back into that physical side, especially when you. I think our first game was against the Crusaders, which is my favourite team to play. <laughs> Just, which is awesome. So, yeah. But then it got cut short again with another injury. So, how was this one to deal with? Yeah, this is sort of it was tough. I it was after the Chiefs game, and my knee started sort of playing up again and feeling like it, it was when I first injured it, and that's when I sort of really sort of knew that you know this wasn't too good. Um, it was sort of giving way walking and that and I was real sort of determined um, not to 
head down that path. But yeah, we we, we tried all we could uh, to get it right, but yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be. Nah, absolute shame. Career cut short at thirty when you still had so much more to give. But mate, what an incredible journey! Geez, that's good to hear. Um, shit, there's some insight into some of that stuff that's happened in your career. But as always, we've gone to our Instagram for some questions. And since you were the most requested guest we've ever had to come on, there was heaps and heaps of questions. Um, So heaps of questions are about hunting. So um, how often did you go for a hunt during your career? That's the first first question. Um, So most of the time, so we play on a Saturday – I'd go for a hunt on a Sunday uh, after a game, and and our typical week we'd have a, a Wednesday off, so usually I'd I'd go for a hunt on the Wednesday. So I could usually get two in during the week if um if things were going well. Wow, that's crazy. Was your body not ever too sore to go out on a Sunday? Oh, I, I sort of found that if if I did go out and and go for a Go for a walk. Yeah. Um. Obviously, I didn't go do anything stupid and, and go for a massive hike. I, <laughs> I sort of stayed close to the to the motorbike. Yeah. Um, and that and hunted some places that were that were quite easy. It it, it actually helped sort of rather than sitting at home mm. in front of the TV. Uh, and I talked to uh, my trainer Glenn Stewart about it a lot and about that sort of recovery and getting that blood flow moving again and. Um, I, I think that probably helped me with a lot of my recovery and keeping active. Fair enough, like that. Um, next one, best hunting story. This will be good. Oh, that many hunts you've been on. Um, I don't know if this is this could be the best or maybe the stupidest. <laughs> um, it was actually not not too not too long ago. Actually, probably three or four months ago. I. After work, me, Andrew Hoare, and um, the other worker, we went out for a quick hunt out the back, and um, they they were looking after the bike. So I was obviously running after, well, not running, but going after the dogs. Um, and they had a pig at the time, and I couldn't hear it, so I was being pretty casual about it and didn't take a, um, a rifle with me or a headlamp. And um, obviously it was getting dark, and uh, I, I finally got to where the dogs were, and they and they had this pig. I remember getting in there, and it was dark. I could only just see, but as I went to go and grab it, the dogs actually let go, and I'm there with this pig, <laughs> and it's just running straight at me, and I I had to jump out of the way. I went to put my hand out to push it off, and I just felt my hand go real warm. And at that time, I realised my hands in its mouth, and its tusk went straight through my, the middle of my sort of hand and the finger, and 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 ripped it right open. Holy! Um, shit. Yeah, so that was, I was like, I remember I pulled my hand out and and sort of uh, held my held my fingers together, and I didn't want to look, but I, I opened up my hand, and there was just this deep hole uh, in between my fingers. In the, in the middle of my hand. Wow. And I was like, fuck, I was like, I'm here by myself. Uh, I've got no headlight and I've got to get these dogs off. So I ended up finally getting in there and, and sorting it out. But um, I'm rushing back to the bike 
to <laughs> holding my hand together. And like we're we're probably a good hour from home. Um, finally get back there, and and Andrew's like real casual about it, just cruising. And um, we have a bit of a laugh. I'm um, probably panicking a little bit at this <laughs> stage because I I couldn't really feel my fingers at the time. So I was like, I've done done damage here, and that. So <clears throat> I finally finally go to hospital um, that night, and I, they actually put me under the next morning to clean it out. <laughs> as dramatic as it sounds, holy heck. They did that. Yeah. Oh, it was not good. I was back at work the next day, which was all good. But, um, yeah, they cleaned it out and, and stitched it up. And that was, yeah, so, yeah, I'll take a headlamp next time. <laughs> Mate, that is crazy. You're lucky that wasn't an incident on one of your recovery day hunts. <laughs> oh, that would not have been good. I think, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to play for a couple of weeks with that because yeah. it was right in the webbing of my fingers. So. Oh. Bruising. Yeah, I don't think any of the coaches would have been too happy. <laughs> oh, that's a good yarn. Okay, next question. Oh, this is a good one. Thoughts on young Ethan Blackadder and the comparison of him with you? Oh, young Doofy. Um, yeah, he's the man, eh? I've got um, so much time for for Ethan. I reckon he's, yeah, he'd be one of my favourite rugby players uh, at the moment. And probably, you know, a lot of people see all his... Um, actions on the field but it's, it's the type of guy he is off the field you mm. know he's he's an absolute lad like he'll do anything for for anyone of his mates and um you know he, he is definitely the type of guy you want beside you and um he's and and you see the way he's playing like oh, i think he should probably be in that starting 15 every week in that all blacks um i'll definitely have him in, in in my team so um and, and the way way he plays and, and that, like, I actually wish I was out there with him. He's outstanding. Right, he is an absolute champion, eh? Yeah, he's one of the best. Okay, next question. What's better, singing the national anthem for the All Blacks or listening to your dog's bale of boar? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a pretty special feeling um, hearing the dogs open up, eh? It's, it's <laughs> It's the anticipation of finally finally hearing them. So I'm probably going to have to go off the dogs bailing. <laughs> I genuinely thought you would say that as well. Oh, that's a good question. Okay. What's your favourite loose forward trio you played alongside with? Oh, that's a great question. Um, probably, oh, I think Sam Kane and, and Jerome Kano. Um, you know, like, I've always looked up to, to Jerome and the way he plays and, you know, he sort of took me under his wing uh, coming into the All Blacks. So, um, yeah, that, that that was awesome to play alongside him and, and everyone knows the way Sam Kane plays and, and how hard he can tackle and, and, mm-hmm. and the engine he's got on him. Um, yeah, he, they're awesome players. Good answers. couple of absolute lads. Okay, next question. Uh what kept you motivated to go to training every week? Um, I guess f- probably for me it's, it's that feeling on the field when you finally actually get out there on, on Saturday and play um, alongside your mates. Uh, it's, you know, if you get things going right, it's, it's pretty contagious. And, and just, just seeing your mates every day um, is, is pretty awesome and you sort of get a lot of energy from, from being around them and, and going to battle with them each week. Nice. Okay, next one. Was it true about the rumours of you signing with Southland? 
Um, I didn't sign, but yeah, I, I was going to go to Southland. Uh, Mate, the Stags yeah. fans will be gutted. That would have been the ultimate signing for the Stags. You and Banksy. Yeah. Oh, I was pre- yeah, I was pretty gutted. I didn't uh, get a, get a chance to. Um, that's them ringing now. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't get a chance to go uh, play for them. I, yeah, it's definitely um, a team I I would have really enjoyed to to be a part of. Yeah, a few good hunting spots down there, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some great spots. Okay, where did the nickname Dennis originate from? Um, this is a bit of a there's a bit of a yarn behind it. Here we go. Um, it was actually me and your brother Tom Marshall. We we both we were both injured. We we're both quite bad injuries at the time. And the Tasman markers they brought in um, an intern trainer just to take me and Tom for our rehab. And um, he was an absolute lad. Like, <laughs> and his name was Dennis. And <laughs> Like we had some great times with Dennis. He was the funniest guy you'd meet. He he made he made turning up to training and going to rehab um, that much better. Like, yeah, it, it sucks not being able to train, but but Dennis he uh, he boosted our morale every day. <laughs> Mate, you should have got him still to follow around Nelson. You should have got him to follow you around your, with your career. Yeah, I I did think about having him on and and letting him live with me and taking him <laughs> taking me everywhere I went. <laughs> he, he's an absolute. He's still living in Nelson, I think, as a uh, swimming uh, lifeguard oh, at yeah. Moana Pool. So, yeah, if you're listening, Dennis, I hope you're well, mate. When you move up, no doubt you'll be catching back up with him. For sure. Oh, I'll be linking up with Dennis. Yeah, Living with him. For dinner. <laughs> <laughs> no, linking up. <laughs> okay, last. Yeah, living, maybe. <laughs> okay, last question. Uh, best piece of advice you ever received in your career? Oh, a heavy one. <clears throat> um, best piece of advice that I've had given to me and also experienced is probably um, just doing what, what, what suits you best like you gotta you gotta put yourself first um um a lot of the time and i know you don't want to be selfish but there is times where you've got to put your best interest um first and i think in, in rugby and in life um there's a lot of uh sort of opportunities you'll get to do that and um you know obviously you will probably piss a couple of people off but as long as as long as you're happy and you're doing doing what you feel is right i think you you sort of can't go wrong especially um within yourself yeah mm-hmm. mate that is a powerful way to finish the podcast great advice i knew you'd come up trump cheers mate <laughs> anyway danny absolute pleasure to get you on the podcast geez there's some good stuff in there um, like I said at the start, it was awesome to play with you back in the early Tasman days and just see how far your career has progressed from those early days has been um, awesome to watch and see see where you are now. Um, unfortunately, I know having to hang up the boots, but your life is just getting started. Really looking forward to seeing what you do next in your in your future. And mate, like I said at the start, you're an absolute lad. So it's been awesome to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. And um, just thank you to everyone for their um, kind messages over the last few days. It's uh, It's been pretty humbling um, to, to read them and to hear them. And 
um, yeah, you know, like it's pretty awesome that we've got some great fans here in New Zealand and yeah, thank you. Mate, you've had a massive influence on so many guys' careers, haven't you? Because like, even, even reading some of those posts, everyone loves Liam Squire and that's why so many people message me every day trying to get you on the podcast. Yeah, I guess that's one thing that probably stood out for me reading a few of them is that, yeah, I did make a few people happy. So that, that sort of filled my cup um, a fair bit and, um, yeah, I guess a little bit proud, but, yeah. Mate, you can definitely be proud. You've had a hell of a career and you're a great man. Appreciate you coming on, mate. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it.